0: Amen. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 137 tonight. Psalm 137. All right. Psalm 137. The Bible says by the rivers of babylon there we sat down yea we wept when we remembered zion we hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof for there they carried us away captive required of us a song and they that wasted us required of us mirth saying sing us one of the songs of zion how shall we sing the lord's song in a strange land if i forget thee o jerusalem let my right hand forget her cunning If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones all right psalm 137 is a vivid picture of uh, the soul-wrenching despair that god's people felt while they were in captivity psalm 136 and psalm 137 uh, being back to back is kind of a crazy roller coaster of emotions Uh, 136 is exuberant and joyful and praise for their deliverance from captivity. And Psalm 137 is mournful and every line being alive with pain, as Derek Kidner said in his book on the Psalms. Um, The psalm expresses the pain and agony of being in exile. Most likely written at the end of the exile, Psalm 137 is both a lament psalm and an imprecatory psalm. In other words, it's both mourns and curses. Uh, This psalm is a broader and more applicable uh, uh, context in in its broader, let's try that again. This psalm in its broader and more applicable context expresses painful consequences of sin. Uh, The children of Judah would not repent from their sin, but they kept going back to their sin uh, uh, of adultery over and over and over again. And they faced one of the worst situations in their nation's histories, uh, the exile into Babylon. Babylon. And when we stay in our sin, we can expect God to chasten us. And when we are chastened, our song is often lost. We can no longer sing the happy songs of salvation we once enjoyed. Uh, This is one of those pictures in this psalm here. And so what do we do when sin separates us from God? Um, Of course, by this statement, we do not mean, uh, mean to speak of separation regarding salvation. Our salvation is secure if we know Him in Christ. Uh, But in our own hearts, we do feel the same. uh, We don't feel the same joy and peace that we once did. And what can we do? Well, when a father chastens his child, the child longs to have that closeness back. The uh, hugs—he hugs his father after the chastisement is over. And what can we do to take those steps to remember what we have lost? That's what we're looking at here in Psalm 137. Uh, First of all, we see in verses one through four. Uh, We ought to mourn and remember what we have lost. (coughs) Excuse me, remember what was lost. (coughs) When sin has snuck in or been invited into the heart by the child of God, the first steps of repentance is to realize and mourn over that lost relationship. In verses 1 through 4, we see how they long to have what they once had. He says in verse 1 again, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof for there they had uh, that carried us away captive required of us a song and they that wasted us required of us mirth saying sing us one of the songs of Zion and how shall we sing the lord's song in a strange land and they lost something very precious first of all they lost their sanctuary letter a uh, they lost their sanctuary uh, they sat down by the river and they wept when they remembered Zion. Zion was their home for their sanctuaries, their place of worship. It was the place where they could connect with God, and it had been destroyed. Uh, Zion had been a place of security. The walls around her brought a feeling of safety to their heart. But now someone had broken through and broken things down. And Where once they sat within the walls feeling secure, now they sit by the riverside in Babylon, open and exposed. When we choose to dwell in sin, we close, our, uh, we, we close our open hearts towards God. And our connection feels closed. It feels far away. Our security feels gone. We feel open and vulnerable. Although that is completely us, never God. The Bible tells us, First John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He is quick. He is always right there to forgive us. And once the people of Judah repented of their sin, and once the time of their exile was through, which he prophesied and gave his prophets the timeline of what this would happen, God did restore them after their repentance. And it's important for us to note right here that not all of those from Judah who were living at the end of the captivity returned to their homeland. Uh, The majority of the Jews were settled and content in their new home in Babylon. And they never fully repented and no longer longed to live in the joy of God's presence. How sad it is that when there are those who never understand the importance of repentance and going back to their walk with God. They had lost their sanctuary, but they did not see the need to go back to it. We need God's presence in that sanctuary. It protects us from many harms. When we walk away from that protection we open ourselves up to harm i remember whenever i was in fifth grade i had a teacher in our christian school they made an extra bulletin board in the back of the classroom that the students could decorate once every few few weeks he would change it out and another student would decorate it my time to decorate it was coming up and we were challenged to try to think of uh, up an image and a, a wording that would like a parable would connect an earthly story or earthly image to a heavenly meaning and I found an image in a coloring book that I had at the time of a little cartoon mouse hiding under a mushroom during a rainstorm and it sparked an idea in my mind and in my heart and I Figured out how I could blow that image up with an overhead projector and trace it out onto a poster board and then color it in and write God's will on that mushroom. And then figured out how I could cut out raindrops and out of construction paper, and I wrote different sins and different attacks from Satan on the raindrops so that I could place them around in the sky. And I believe the verse that I had chosen was from Psalm 32.7. It said, Thou art my hiding place, thou shalt preserve me from trouble. And the, the image has stuck in my mind ever since then. And the image that was in my mind as a child was this little mouse that represented me hiding under God's will. And God's will umbrellaed me and protected me from the storms of this life and the troubles. Does that mean that troubles never come? No. But Satan's attacks, uh, God shields us when we're in his will. The image just stuck in my mind all of my life. And God's great desire is to protect us. But when we step out of his will, we open ourselves up to that attack. Just like that little mouse, if he stepped out from underneath that mushroom, he would feel the rain. But not only had they lost their sanctuary, but secondly, the Bible continues and says that they lost their song. In verse 2, he says, he hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there, that, uh, for there, they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? These exiles lost all desire for their music due to God's judgment. They hung their harps on the trees and sat and mourned. In fact, the Babylonian captivities wanted to hear these songs, and the songs that they had heard about, the full of joy and excitement But their response was, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And perhaps they were mocking them. We don't really know. We're not told in the full context here. Perhaps they were mocking them. And sing us a song of the joy that you had. And now that they're in captivity, perhaps they were mocking them. But either way, they didn't want to sing. How could that joy come forth whenever they were such under such a burdened uh, life and realize what they had lost? Their spirits were crushed. And they longed for the day when they could sing like they once did with freedom and joy. And when we sin, and when we continue to sin, refusing to confess and make things right with God, we lose the same things. Well, you lose that security. We lose that song in our hearts. And so often when I look out on Sunday mornings, I can see in the faces of those, they wording the songs and singing the songs, but you can tell in the face of... Faces <coughs> of people, that they have no joy. They have no uh, meaning behind those so- <coughs> songs. Excuse me. I'm out of water here. Got a tiny little thing. I think Michelle's getting it. <coughs> Thank you. <coughs> and people uh, just singing songs of joy and sing songs of, that should elicit um, joy in our hearts. There's a frown and a scowl sometimes, even, and bitterness all over the face. I long for everyone to have this kind of joy and peace and security that's available to all of us. But when we continue under sin, whether it's bitterness or pride or whatever it might be, we'll never be able to have the freedom to sing like we once did. This is one of the consequences of sin in our lives. There's something between our hearts and the Savior. And God doesn't, isn't able to give us the grace that he once did. I've often likened the channels of blessing and the channels of grace to a water pipe that allows the blessings of God to flow to us. But if uncleanness gets in, or mud builds up from our unconfessed sin, we have to go to the Lord and confess. And that confession acts like a rotor rooter scraping the mud and junk out of that pipe and cleaning that pipe so that the pure water can once again flow. And that's the act of confession cleans that so that we can have that grace and that mercy and that blessings flow once again. So keep your heart pure, keep your heart clean before Him and receive the blessings of living in His presence. you find yourself under a form of exile yourself, and you need to realize that you've lost your sanctuary. Thank you. You've lost your song. Confess it. and Bear through the appointed time of exile and allow God to bring you back to fellowship with him. And the first step is to mourn and remember what you lost. Secondly, is to cling to your remembrance. Here in verses 5 and 6, he says, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. And throughout the pain and suffering of being in exile, the psalmist didn't want to forget what he had lost. Clinging to that uh, thought would help him to make it through. And they uh, urged their heart to push through. We can see the seriousness in his heart here of what he's saying here. Rather than forgetting the goodness of God and their home, he would rather experience, first of all, he says, an, uh, a paralyzed hand. He'd rather have a paralyzed hand. He said, let my right hand forget her cunning or skill. Uh, if he forgets Jerusalem, let him be able to lose his forgetting, uh, forget his cunning or his skill that his hand has. Obviously, a skilled and talented harpist, He spoke of hanging his harp upon the tree. And uh, the Babylonians sought for him to play and sing for them. He says he would rather never play again than lose the remembrance of what he once had. I think only someone who plays an instrument can truly understand the depths of this loss. And when I sit and play the piano, a lot of times, especially when I'm alone, I pour my heart and my soul out onto that piano. And it may not always sound good, <laughs> uh, but, but it's just the way I pray and praise and express what I'm feeling to God, unlike any other way I can think of to express. And for a skilled harpist, not just to hang up his harp until, uh, until, he, until he comes back or until he goes back to his land, but to say, I would rather lose my skill completely, lose the use of my hand, rather than to lose or to forget God's blessings in Zion. Years of exhausting practice were a small price to pay for him to be able to play once again in the presence of God in Jerusalem. He said he would rather have a paralyzed hand, but he also said that he would rather have a paralyzed tongue. If I do not remember the verse 6 says, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. He'd rather have a paralyzed mouth than to lose the importance of God in his holy city. He says, If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy, the reference seems to be the incredible joy that he receives from singing to the Lord. And singing is an incredible joy, it's a gift from God to be able to sing his praises. To be able to stand, whether it's in your kitchen while doing your dishes or in a church full of people, to sing to the Lord is a thrilling and wonderful opportunity, and it's a joy. But the psalmist says he would rather lose his ability to sing if he did not keep the joy of Jerusalem, the picture of the presence of God, first and foremost in his heart. And Singing does not always equal worship. However, worship very often includes singing. When I was in college, I remember asking the Lord to help me develop my singing voice. And I had been told that I had a great voice for harmony and for groups, but I didn't really have a solo voice. And, uh, you know, it said, just, you know, why don't you just stick to groups? <laughs> I've been told that all my life. And I, I received great joy from singing in groups and creating harmony, and it brought me joy. But I, I longed to kind of express myself alone. And I asked the Lord to help me be able to sing a solo and help me to be able to uh, be able to hold my, hold it for myself. And uh, I told him that I would sing for him. I would never sing for the world. And not long after that I ended up uh, leaving college I found myself in a church in Santa Maria, California. There they had a big special patriotic service where the mayor and a couple of other officials would attend and Uh, The pastor wanted the choir to sing a song by John W. uh, W. Peterson, uh, The Red, White, and Blue. And uh, that song calls for a soloist to sing some very high notes and hold it for an ungodly number of beats. And uh, in the practice, the pastor had everyone sing along, and when it came to that note, I was the only one that was able to hit that note, and I was the only one that was able to keep the note, although I couldn't hold the note for the full amount of beats. But I got the solo whether I wanted it or not. And <clears throat> to me, it was terrifying. And my very first solo was in front of a packed crowd, including politicians, of all people. And I wanted to back out, especially on that day as it got closer and closer. And I got so nervous and my stomach just got sick. But God took me back in my mind to that night that I had forgotten about so long, few probably a year or so before in my bunk bed in the dorm at college when I asked God to help me my voice matured to the point where I could sing a solo for him. And I promised him that night never to use my first voice for the Lord, but always to, if he would enable me to sing for him. I survived the solo, <laughs> although I thought I was going to pass out. Um, I still don't have the greatest voice out there for sure. I could never make it in Nashville or anywhere else for that matter, uh, but I can make it in church. And, uh, But it's all for naught. If I get wrapped up, In the joy of singing and lose why I'm singing in the first place. The singing itself is not what matters. You get great joy out of it. But he's the one that matters. His presence is the one that matters. Who we're singing for is the one that matters. The presence of God. Mourn and remember what was lost. Then cling to your remembrance. Then number three, trust God for justice. Verse 7, he says, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth the little ones against the stones. Even though the people of Judah were receiving the justice that they deserved because of their sins, the tools of this justice went farther than decency required. The things that the Babylonians did to Jerusalem and to the people of Israel was destructive and vile. Here the psalmist talks about the Edomites taunting God's people as they were taken captive and adding insult to injury, and crying out to the Babylonians to tear the city completely down, crying, raise it, raise it to the ground, even to the foundations thereof. The excessiveness of their cruelty is the reason the psalmist cries for the Lord to remember them in judgment. Even the prophets had prophesied that God's judgment would fall on Edom because of their acts against Israel. Before it ever even happened, the prophets prophesied that Edom would be judged because they were cruel to Israel. And the psalmist then turns to the Babylonians for their cruelty and asks God for justice. They will be destroyed, and the Lord will rightly judge them because of how they treated his people, even praying God's blessing on the enemy of Babylon who would destroy them in these verses. Verse 9 is hard to read, but the psalmist is asking for God's blessing on the enemy of Babylon who had dashed their little ones against the stones. What a horrible image, really, huh? And someone said this is perhaps the most painful imprecation or curse in the book of Psalms. To the exiled psalmist, those who had ravaged the Holy Land deserved no better. He deserved perfect justice for those who had slaughtered and enslaved God's people and done these horrible things to them. They, they deserved to receive exactly what they themselves had done to the nation of Israel. There's no doubt that the memories of what the Babylonians had done in Jerusalem was very fresh in the psalmist's mind. And in that pain, he asks God for justice. Warren Wearsby says they had abused the elderly, they had murdered the babies and children, they violated the women, and they killed promiscu- uh, uh, promiscuously. I can't, I'm can't not saying that, prom- promiscuously. There we go. <laughs> I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Um, But though these practices may have been a normal part of ancient warfare, he says, Babylon went to to the extreme in their inhumanity. The ancient nation of Babylon is a picture of the entire world system that is against God today. They can reach unimaginable cruelty against God's people sometimes. But when we find ourselves in these situations, even if it were our sins that brought us there to begin with, We must trust God for His justice. Leave it to Him. Allow Him to do as He sees fit. Far worse is ahead of us under the reign of the Antichrist in the end times. Although I believe we will be with the Lord in the air, there will be some who trust in Christ and refuse the mark of the beast there in those days of tribulation. They will suffer for the Lord greatly and cruelly. But when Christ returns to earth... He will execute justice and destroy all ungodliness and evil in the world. Babylon will fall under the mighty hand of God just as they did so many years ago in these instances. Until then, when we find ourselves in exile because of our sin, confess your sin, mourn and remember what you have lost, cling to that remembrance of the things that are important, and trust God to bring justice. And leave it in his hands. Amen. Well, let's take some prayer requests. (coughs) We'll cut off the live stream back there. Somebody still back there?